Gentlemen, I have a song for you this morning that I trust will awaken your heart to what God has for us. I'm loving this series uh, because it's helping me so much to get a better frame on what God has intended for us uh, through sex and intimate relationship with him um, and these women in our lives that we love. Um, And it's also helping me to reflect back on just how crazy I was uh, when I was listening to rock music. You know, as I said to you last week, research has shown that the music that you listen to are listening to when you're 14 years old is typically the music that anchors you in uh, to that culture. Think about what were you listening to when you were 14 years old? Well, I was listening to Almond Brothers uh, big time. And uh, this morning, <clears throat> this morning, uh, I've got that gr- uh, great gospel group that I want to play for you, Marshall Tucker Band. Can't you see? Now listen to the words. This everybody's heard this song, but have you really ever listened to the words? Gonna take a freight train down at the station, Lord. I don't. I don't care where it goes. Going to climb a mountain, the highest mountain, jump off. Nobody going to know. Can't you see? Whoa, can't you see what that woman, Lord, she's been doing to me? Can't you see? Can't you see what that woman, she's been doing to me? May you hear the voice of God (laughs) through this song, Marshall Tucker Band.
Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Gentlemen, we continue our uh, series, God, Sex, and Rock and Roll. Trying to develop a Christian biblical worldview of God and sex as opposed to outside the boundaries uh, that comes from our culture of a sexualized view. Um, I spent a summer in India uh, in 1980. Took uh, 24 uh, college students uh, as part of a Campus Crusade for Christ summer project uh, over to India, and we were showing the Jesus film. And, um, you know, the first time that you're out of this country, um, in a third world country, the smells are so different. I, I remember the smells. I remember the, 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 the visual pictures of flying into that airport um, in Bangalore and uh, the shanty towns that was all around the airport. It was just so different. And so I spent uh, 10, 12 weeks, and I, I remember flying back in at the end of the summer uh, into JFK. Holy cow. Having been out of the country for 12 weeks and flying back in, it was, it was like uh, leaving a black and white picture flying into Technicolor. And I'll never forget flying into that Technicolor type of experience and how much of the billboards and the sites was sexual. I had lost touch with that. I was like the frog in the pot that we all are. You know how you cook a frog? You don't throw him in a pot of boiling water. He'll jump out. You know, you just put him in the water and you turn the heat up very slowly and he cooks and he doesn't even know that he will soon be dinner. Uh, dinner. And that's the idea of how our culture in its sexualized view cooks us and we don't even know uh, that we're being played in that way. This morning, the piece that I want to look at again is... Um, this idea of you were made for loving, connected relationships. And I'll just emphasize loving and connected relationships. That's what we're made for. The one word summary of our session today is connected, connected. And the way I've uh, tried to offer you um, our time together the last two weeks and today is as if we were sitting down with a 10-year-old boy and we were talking to that 10-year-old boy and we were uh, giving him the birds and the bees talk. How would you want to talk to him? Last week's lesson, the weeks before, and this week, and then we'll transition into a different uh, frame next week is what I would encourage you to watch with your 10-year-old son, your 10-year-old grandson. Watch for yourself 
because you needed to hear this when you were 10 years old. Because chances are, as I shared a couple weeks ago, your birds and the bees talk probably wasn't any better than mine. It's about connection. Little Johnny, it's about connection. It's about connection. I you to pick up your pen. I have three questions for you. This is what I would ask little Johnny. This is what I would ask you. First question, when do you feel most connected to God, yourself, and another? When do you feel most connected to God, to yourself, to another? This past weekend um, was the Miss Alabama pageant in uh, Birmingham. Carla and Abigail uh, went. I could have gone. I chose not to. And um, so I get home Thursday night, and and they're gone, and uh, I'm by myself. And my good buddy Scott uh, came down on uh, uh, Thursday, and um, we got a bunch of guys together on Friday night, and we hung out and went to Ed's Seafood House uh, over on the causeway and had a great night. And uh, Scott and I had breakfast together Saturday morning, and Scott headed back to Jackson. And Saturday afternoon, I was by myself, and Saturday night, I was by myself. I went, uh, there was a place in Fairhope called Danny's Fried Chicken. I hadn't tried it out, so I went and got me a bucket of fried chicken because you can't do that when mama's home. And uh, Carla and Abigail get home on Sunday, and I said, Wow, I missed you all. She said, you didn't miss us. I said, well, no, I, I missed you. I was here by myself. She said, Scott, and the guys were here Friday night, and you had breakfast with Scott Saturday morning. You were only here by yourself Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. And I said, yeah, and it was awful. <laughs> Feeling connected. When do you feel connected? Second question. When do you feel most disconnected? When do you feel most disconnected? I had a conversation uh, with a young guy that uh, Roan and I are working with, um, and I'm sitting with him, uh, he, um, and uh, he's really doing well in his recovery. And um, he said, I've been sober 90 days in my uh, sexual recovery. 90 days. Congratulations. And I asked him, I said, how have you done that? And uh, he started going through the list of how he's gotten connected. He stopped trying to willpower his recovery and got more relational in his recovery. 
and it's changed the whole paradigm. He's connected. He's got friends. He's got guys on his speed dial. It was really cool just to hear him go down the list um, of how he's gotten more connected. Because I would say this to you guys, we feel most disconnected when you've just eaten that cheese pizza at two o'clock in the morning. When you've acted out and you've gone through that addiction cycle and you've gone through the rituals and you've acted out and shame has set in and you feel disconnected and you're making those promises, I'll never do that again until the next time. Disconnected, disconnected. Giving yourself to less than adequate lovers, looking for love in all the wrong places. Third question, how has sex brought connection to you and how has it made you feel more disconnected? Think about that for a minute. Man, my history, I thought that it was about finding a woman and being sexual with her in some way. Um, part of the culture that I grew up in East Tennessee uh, that was sexualized is um, I started playing basketball when I was in the fourth grade on, on, on the team, got my uniform and all that. And part of that culture is, you know, uh, students, players, and cheerleaders, they put, you, put, a, put us on a school bus and they take us to the, to the games. Well, very early on, you learn that the key uh, on the uh, school bus is having a girlfriend so you can uh, play kissy face all the way back after the game is over. And you ain't nobody. If you don't have a girlfriend, you take a blanket and you throw it over your head and you have a moment of privacy on the school bus with 50 other kids and you kiss the whole way home until the next morning, your lips are raw and the skin is falling out of your mouth. Yeah, baby. That's what a man does in junior high. That's like, dude, really? Why don't somebody speak into that? How about we sing songs or play a game or play trivia or something? On the, no, let's just, we, we, everybody knows. Everybody's paired up. Everybody's playing kissy face, and that's the way it works, sexualized. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 9, reading this once again as we have the last couple of weeks. Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other. Those who use and abuse each other. Use and abuse sex. Use and abuse the earth and everything in it. Don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you know from experience, from experience, what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us, the Spirit. Verse 12, 
just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Again, sitting on the back of the bus playing kissy face uh, all the way home, there's nothing illegal about that. You know, they're not going to take us off the bus and put us in jail. But it's not profitable. If I went around doing whatever I thought could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Cheese pizza at 2 a.m. in the morning sounds like a good idea at the time. And by 3 a.m., you know, you should have been in bed four hours ago and you wouldn't feel so miserable. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity, the same dignity, the same dignity. Value more, not value less. The same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I sure hope not. Hey, Jesus, let's go to the whorehouse tonight. I mean, that's, that's what that is. No. Again, the Greek word there is porneia. Same, same idea as pornography, where we get our word pornography. Verse 16, there's more to sex. There's more to sex. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. Wow, it is holy. Middle of the playing field here, God's playing field is holiness. And until we understand holiness, we can't really grasp how critical sex is. Part of understanding a biblical framework of sex is to understand the purity of God. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever the kind of sex that can never become one. Oh, can't you see? Can't you see what that woman been doing to me? She's got me all tore up. She's got me split up, crumbled up, fragmented, broken. I'm broken. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. Underline that. Put an asterisk by it. Star it, some sin is worser than others, and sexual sin is worser than others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness, the holiness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see don't you see, can't you see, that you can't live 
however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. I sat with a, um, with a man this week, um, and he is so broken in his family. His whole family he feels disconnected from. He loves them, but he doesn't know how to be with them. And part of what his story is is he has lived in a pornographic world in his head for years. And the pornography, it's like eating his brain. It's like emotional and spiritual cancer that's robbed him of the ability to connect. He could connect at one time. His wife has indicated that but he's lost that ability. He is dying. He's atrophy. See, here's, here's what it's about, whether we're talking to ourselves or we're talking to Johnny. It's about connection. <clears throat> yes, connection. There's a way that things are supposed to be. And connection is what the playing field is all about. You want to be connected? Absolutely, you want to be connected. And that connection is best experienced on the playing field within the boundaries of God's design. You try to, you try to get connected out here when you are objectifying A woman, there's no connection there. It's, it's like being connected to a Krispy Kreme donut. How long does that last? You know, about five minutes, you know. You pull up, the light's on. Holy cow, they're hot. Dude, I'm going to go in and get one. Well, no, they got them on sale this week. I'll get a dozen. Two dozen. I'll, t- I'll, take, I'll take a dozen to my good friend Jeff. And now I'm in the car with two dozen donuts. And I'm eating them as fast as I can. I'm eating them like potato chips. They're fantastic. Until about the eighth donut. And it's just like, what was I thinking? I mean, I feel like I swallowed a basketball. I'm miserable. I was going to go to work. Ah, the heck with work. I'm going home. I'm sick. Hey, boss, I'm sick. I ran into a donut. It's, It's crazy. So we get disconnected. Sexuality, guys, starts with how you view yourself. Um, it is an issue of value and dignity. When I work with guys that I know are especially struggling with sexual brokenness, I want to start 
to find out how they view themselves. Several years ago, um, some of you know this story. We had a guy, and this guy, man, he had the coolest beard. I mean, this beard was like huge. I mean, it was just like, I mean, he made those, uh, what's the show, uh, the Louisiana guys, um, uh, Duck Dynasty. I mean, he made those guys look like, you know, junior beer growers. This guy was serious. He had this big old thick beard. I mean, if a bird flew in there, toast, dead bird, you know? I mean, I'm sure when he cut it off that they found stuff in there that had been in there for years. And I, and I asked him, we're, we're, we're at Ebenezer Place, Joe. Some of you were there. I think Ron was there and some of the other guys. And, and, I, and, and he had told his story. And Sharon, I said, um, tell me about your beard. My beard? Yeah, your beard. When did you grow your beard? He grew his beard um, um, at a very low point in his life. And he had used that beard to cover himself up and to hide. And um, I said, dude, I understand. I look forward to the day that you cut that beard off as a symbol of being forgiven by God and opened up to a whole better world. Several months later, we had uh, guys not out on the patio at my house. This new guy shows up. Never seen this guy before. Comes walking in. He entered. Uh, he, he says, uh, uh, hey, and I just go, hey, glad you're here. What's your name? First time here? He said, dude, it's, it's me. It was him. Crazy. He shaved it off because he began to get in touch with who he really was. Guys, we will eat donuts when we feel bad about ourselves. Our sexuality is tied to how we feel about ourselves. And if we keep dealing with external things, okay, I'm going to stop having sex or stop doing bad things. That that's good. I'm glad you're doing that, but that ain't going to last if you're not dealing with this. I've got another young guy that I'm working with, and, and, if, and if he were here, I think that he would allow me to call him up front, and I would love to call him up front and let him tell this story. Um, but he has hidden himself, and I started working with him, and uh, he's got a new haircut. He looks like a million dollars. He started taking care of himself, and that's part of his recovery. He's the one that I was telling you about that has been 90 days sober. Because he's feeling better about himself. And when you feel bad about yourself, you are more likely to eat Krispy Kreme donuts profusely. Your sexuality is tied to your value. And the value that you see in her. Can't you see? Can't you see? Sex makes you feel connected, just like Krispy Kreme donuts makes you feel full for a minute. It, it does make you feel connected. You're joined to another person. That's exciting. But when sex is out of here, it is a feeling that lasts as long 
as eight Krispy Kreme donuts. It makes you feel close momentarily. It actually brings you to marriage-like ties. Now, you may not be thinking about this, but it's like that song that I played for you two weeks ago. Will you still love me tomorrow? That's what she's saying. Will you still, will there be a, no, no, I was just trying to get a donut, right? And what it does when you keep having sex out here, out of bounds, it will actually make you unable to commit and trust. It will deaden your ability to to trust, to commit to a relationship. Even in your marriage, when you have overvalued sex and you keep telling yourself, I've got to have sex, I need sex. No, you do not need sex. Nobody has ever died because of lack of sex. Guys, that is a lie that has been perpetuated by our culture. It is a desire. Absolutely, it's a desire. Do I want to have sex? Absolutely. I like it. I desire it. Do I need it? No. And when you tell your wife that you've got to have it, dude, that is a lie. That that objectifies her. And you wonder after being married for about five minutes why she doesn't want to with that kind of energy coming toward her. It's like, you know, I've been married to you three years, four years, five years. And you keep telling me that you need sex. How about you need to sit and just talk? I need that. Well, I ain't doing that. Why would, why would I want to do that? I want you to watch uh, Tim Keller and just what Tim Keller has to say about sex on the playing field of God in its proper form. Watch this. Uh, porn is destructive because if sex is like money, then porn is a massive devaluation of the currency. Uh, Sex inside of a committed marriage is magic. It, um, it, it's, it's like blowing on the coals of this uh, incredible, uh, beautiful and powerful flame. Uh, sex outside of marriage is just a way of not giving yourself, but of receiving fulfillment and, and pleasure. And like all addictions, uh, the more you do it, the less payoff there is. It's like an addiction, and the more you do it, the less payoff. So it becomes less and less and less uh, powerful and less pleasurable. Whereas sex inside marriage, where you're not so much taking as giving, um, I can just say personally, after years and years and years of doing this with my wife, with one woman, it becomes sweeter and more pleasurable and more powerful and more transforming as the years go by, even when actually Neither of you look as good as you did before. 
<laughs> and in some ways, uh, what a lot of things that people think have to be there as part of sex just aren't there when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And yet it's actually a more powerful experience because you haven't devalued the currency. Sex is a way of saying to another person, I belong completely and exclusively and permanently to you. And that's something you can only say inside marriage. And when you use sex to say that, um, it really is uh, it's incredibly valuable and rich. Mm. Mm. Value. So much about value and dignity for self and other. What's the Bob Seger song? I used her and she used me. And neither one of us really cared. Just a devaluing. Sad. I want you to think more of yourself. I want you to think more of her in the highest way. I want you to think more of God. It's holy. Tim Keller um, offered some cultural attitudes towards sex. I ran across this. I thought this was really powerful. Three ways that our culture through the years has developed attitudes towards sex. Sexual realism, sex is nothing more than an appetite. It is just Krispy Kreme donuts, cheese pizza. Uh, it's the Greek and Roman view of sex, and it just basically says that it's nothing more than eating or sleeping. It's just an urge. So sex is an inevitable biological drive, and sex is right if it's safe. And guys, I'm telling you, this is what our culture has adopted in many ways. This is what many of our school education programs are working out of is this framework it's long, you know, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's natural. We just want to make sure that it's done safe. Man, that is such a cheapened value of sex. It's more than that. Sexual realism. And then there's sexual platonism, uh, platonism. Sex is just animal passion. Passion. It's necessary. Evil. And so what we do is we degrade it. And, and in many ways, this is the view that the church has adopted, that it's dirty, um, it's, it's not right. And so we make, it, uh, we, we make it a moral issue. And then we tell our kids, Johnny at 10 years old, that he shouldn't be doing this until he's married. And it's like as soon as you do that, don't do it. What's Johnny going to do? Man, his curiosity is spiked. I want to do that. I want to find out about that secret. It's exactly what Adam and Eve were told by the serpent. You know, God said, don't eat of that one tree. And serpent said, you know, the good stuff's right over there. God's withholding from you. It's really over there. And dude, when we take this view of sex, that's what happens. Or the view of sex of sexual romanticism. It's that it's repressed creativity. It's like I'm an artist and I need to express myself. And so I run around expressing myself with everybody that I can express myself with. Sex is about the quality of interpersonal love and is the primary touchstone 
that makes sex right or wrong. So just be in a relationship. It's natural. And that's what we've adopted in our culture. Everything is is about romance. And so you just need to act. I mean, watch, watch, watch commercials for about two hours. And it's all about, you know, you buy a new watch and you're having sex. You buy a new car and you're having sex. You know, you go to dinner and you're having sex. Problem is you're having sex in the back seat and in the bathroom and out in the park on a bench. And it's crazy. It's crazy. But the biblical view is like this. The Christian view of sex. Sex is good. Johnny, man, it is so good. Johnny, I want you to know that sex is good. When Audrey, my oldest daughter, uh, was in the second grade, uh, she comes home and she says, Daddy, I know what sex is. Now, in this context, I uh, I can't even tell you what she said. It, I, it would be a little bit much for even this environment. But she's in the second grade, and, and she, does, she tells me what she believes sex is. It's really pretty funny, but it was pretty good for a, for a second grader. And I said, wow. Where'd you hear that? Well, Susie has an older brother, and Susie's older brother told Susie, and Susie told me. I know what sex is. And I said, wow. Sounds like you and me and mommy uh, need to have a conversation. And so that night, uh, I went to the library. This was back in the days of VHS videotapes. And I went and got the Discovery Channel video that I had recommended to many couples. And we watched the 40-minute video uh, made by the Discovery Channel on um, how babies are made. And it left nothing to the imagination. And my little second grader is sitting there like, And we watched it, and then, I, and then when we cut the video off, I, I began to explain to her how wonderful sex was and how God had given it to mommies and daddies, husbands and wives in the context of marriage, and it was a wonderful thing. And she had a couple questions, and I could just continue to talk about how wonderful sex was, but it was saved for marriage. And after I continued to talk, she looked at me and she said, Daddy, could we talk about something else? <laughs> and I said, no, because I'm just getting started. So, so we changed. Sex is good. It's a wonderful thing. But we play it on the, on the playing field. Could you listen to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 7? This is, this is what God says. I, I love this passage. Now, getting down to the questions you ask in your letter to me, first, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? There's the question. Verse 2, certainly, but only with a certain con within a certain context. A certain context, the playing field. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. 
Now, let me say this, because I realize that in this room is lots of marriage issues, uh, lots of difficult circumstances, lots of questions that I couldn't answer um, if, if we stood here all day. I know your situation is uh, troubling and your sexual relationship in your marriage is part of the conundrum that you're in. I have great respect for that. I'll, I'll just say this as we continue to read this passage is that once again, your conundrum is not a license to play outside the boundaries. I respect where you are. And it takes two to tango, as the old saying goes, for sure. So I have great respect for the pain, the difficulty that you're in. And there are guys in this room that I know are in that, in that place. God seems to think that you can handle that. I agree with God. The, the marriage, is, where am I? Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. And again, I make a living on that tension right there. I love that tension. Baseball has been very, very good to me. I respect that tension. Yes, it is hard. Two broken people trying to figure it out. Abstaining from sex is, excuse me, marriage is the decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. It's complicated, but it's very simple. The simple context is sex is to be played out on the playing field. It's not a withholding. It's a protection. It works best there. Sexual desires are broken and usually idolatrous. We have to be very careful that we don't, convince ourselves of those urges and those desires are a need that we have. They're not a need, but they are strong desires. Sex is not primary for personal happiness. I believe that you can be fulfilled, that you can be a godly man within a marriage that has great sexual pleasure or not. Or you can be single and you can be fulfilled by not having sex until you're married. Sex is a wonderful thing. God has given it to us. He came up with the idea. Wow. Wow. May you live and play 
on the playing field of God's boundaries. It's better that way. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the beauty of connection and that you offer it to us in the safest way. Thank you for our time this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.